want to begin by telling a story. It's a very, very old story, and it's been passed down generation to generation until finally it was transcribed by the Reverend Ted Loader. Now, this story has been part of animal lore for centuries. But luckily, Ted is such an easy human to talk to, very easy to talk to, and he speaks many animal languages and is in fact deeply trusted by the community of goats. <laughs> so here's how the story goes, and I'm honored to share this wisdom of the four-leggeds. 2,000 years ago, a goat named Zub happened to be in the stable where this whole Jesus thing began. But before that momentous birth, the day started off like any billy goat kind of day. As the story goes, Zub and his billy goat wife, Quan, decided to leave the herd and climb a nearby crag and venture up into a beautiful mountain pass above Bethlehem. It was cold on the mountain, but it was like you could see past the edge of the world. The grass tasted intoxicating, and the air and the water was so clear and sweet, you could not tell the difference. Zub had lived most of his life with a particular kind of philosophy. There is always someone out to get you. So you got to keep a sharp eye out. Now, you may think that's kind of a fatalistic way to live, but hey, it was family history. Now, I don't want to go into all the sordid details this morning, but have you ever heard of the term scapegoat? <laughs> Enough said. So, hence Zub's philosophy. There's always someone out to get you. So you have to be ready to duck and parry on a moment's notice. Goats, as you may have observed, jump and jiggle around a bit so everybody has their way of looking out for number one. Anyway, up on that mountain, so far away, Zub felt the weight of living, and on a whim, he turned to Quan and said, let's never go back. Let's just live up here, free, on top of the world. No one would bother us, no one would take our milk or steal the kids to butcher or barter. No one would get us. We could live here unto ourselves, and we would be free. Now, Quan was a wise goat, and she turned to her dear billy goat husband and said, We can't do that, Zub. We wouldn't be free we'd be a lie, a dream. It's beautiful here, yes, but it's not life. 
Let me tell you the way it is, Zub said. In this world, which is the only world we have or know anything about, you have to look out for yourself because nobody else will. No matter what it looks like to you, animals are out to get one another. And don't even get me started about people. You have to keep a sharp eye out. Why, she said. Uh, well, uh, Zepp had to admit he didn't have an answer exactly. That's just the way it was. It all seemed so obvious, and yet, when she asked why, it didn't seem so straightforward. Ah, uh, that wife of his. She asked the most confounding questions. Finally, Zub got so frustrated, he just blurted out, you have to look out for yourself in order to survive. I want to survive. I don't want to die. Do you? There it was, Zub's greatest fear. The fear that had haunted him most all of his life. He didn't want to die. He may have leaped across the rocky crags day after day, but his knees shook every time. The fear of death was always with him. Quan laid her chin on her dear husband's back and said, I think what you mean to say is that you don't want to lose your life. Zub was confused. Didn't he just say that? What's the difference? But somehow he knew there was something in that turn of phrase. The two goats stood on the mountain and grazed on that intoxicating grass until the stars came out. And one in particular shone so bold and so bright that they were astounded and in awe. And then Zub heard some words, but he wasn't quite sure who was speaking. That must have been Quan. It said, it's your life you fear to lose, Zub. So you can't stay here. You have to be a part of the mix with all the sacrifices and all the joys, all of it. If you aren't willing to mix it up, then nothing is worth anything, not even life, especially life. Zub felt dizzy. He wasn't sure what was going on. The next thing he knew, they were picking their way down the mountain. Zub wanted to stay under the night sky in that brilliant star, but Quan had to get milked. So they made their way to the stable, and they had scarcely entered when all the confusion began. A man and a woman pushed through the stable door. They made their way past the stalls and stumbled towards a mound of hay, muck and all. And Zub was a bit surprised, not only at the humans barging through the door, but at his own experience and his response. He didn't have his usual sense of irritation and wariness. He felt something was different. 
It just must have been the day. He watched as the woman lay down in the hay, groaning and holding her belly, and all the animals in that stable stood in amazement. And would you believe me if I told you that watching that baby making its way into the world had the same effect on Zub as standing on the mountain where it seemed that you could see past the edge of the world? He kept hearing the words he had heard all night. You have to be part of the mix with all the sacrifices and all the joys life brings. If you aren't willing to mix it up, then nothing is worth anything, not even life, especially life. Then it happened. The baby was born. The woman beamed and cried, and the man carefully cut and tied the cord, and the woman took the baby to her breast, whispering, Jesus, Jesus. Quan went over to the man and nudged his hand, and somehow, he understood, he found a bucket and milked Quan. Then he did a strange thing. He took the little baby and washed him in the milk. And then he took a cup for the woman to drink, and he took a cup of milk for himself. Whatever hardship or bitterness they had carried into that stable that night, it all fell away at the miracle of what had taken place, this beautiful birth. The man found a scrap or two of cloth and wrapped the baby up tight, and Zub and Quan inched their way closer. They nuzzled the couple and laid down next to the woman so the baby could be warmed by their bodies and their fur. Zub had this powerful sense that that baby wanted to be there. He wanted to be there. There in all the cold and all the dark, there in the stable, in all the muck, the hay, the breath, the fur, the feathers, the hardships, the kindness, there in the mix. The baby smiled and everyone cooed in their own language. Zub chuckled to himself in his billy goat kind of way. Here he was, trying so hard to always be on the lookout because someone is always out to get you. And he had been gotten. Yes, he had. Lo and behold, by this tiny, wrinkled up little baby, he had been gotten right in the heart. And he was filled with gladness. Gladness. And Zub was never the same. Zub told that story again and again to all of his kids. And the kids told it to their kids, generation to generation. It was kind of this seminal event in his life. The night he decided to mix it up. With all the sacrifices and all the joys life had to bring. To not hold back. 
to not hold back, but to lean in, in wonder. In fact, you might say, in giving up on trying to save his life, he gained his life. Dear ones, this morning on Christmas Eve day, could we put aside the sanitized, commercialized, super-sized story of Christmas and actually hear what the ancients were trying to describe? 2,000 years ago, a change agent, a wisdom teacher named Jesus was born. He led a poor people's movement grounded in Jewish teachings. He summarized those teachings in two central commandments, to love God, to love the divine mystery with all your passion and prayer and intelligence and energy, and to love your neighbor as yourself, as a continuation of yourself in this great webbing of creation. Jesus taught that the quickest way to living that love to its fullest was mixing it up, to be together with all kinds of people, to eat together, to welcome everyone to a table of fellowship, no matter their station or their standing in society, no matter who they were or what you thought of them. When you love the divine and your neighbor as part of the divine, the natural outcome is heaven on earth. This is a radical way to live. And Jesus' message, whether we know it or not, is thread through our worshiping culture. The story of Jesus' birth is not a factual telling, but it's a truthful telling. That even in the muck and mud of a stable, even in a place so barren and hopeless, there is possibility for new life and a kingdom, a kingdom to be born. In your life right now, whatever you are carrying right now, the muck and mud of your experiences, the fragile hope, the gnawing despair, the gift and challenge of family, the shame of wrongdoing, the fears that have spooked you into a hundred hiding places, the bitterness that clings the longing for new life, whatever you are carrying this morning, this story of birth and possibility invites us to lean in instead of numbing out. Mix it up. Mix it up. Love God, love spirit, love life, whatever you name the holy and love your neighbor as a continuation of yourself, as a continuation of the holy. Love it with all your passion and prayer and intelligence and energy and just see, 
Just see what transpires. Recently, I discovered the most amazing thing. I hope you think it's amazing. But in the first century, when there weren't any Christians per se, there were just a mixed up mess of Jews and Gentiles trying to figure out what it meant to follow the message of Jesus. Three cups were used in religious practices, three. Today, the central ritual of Christianity has been reduced to one cup, a cup of wine to symbolize a new covenant. But when things were experimental and rituals were varied with different faith communities, followers embodied the message and, and worship of Jesus with three cups, three cups. The first cup was water offered to the newly baptized, and the third cup was wine as practiced today. But the second cup is the one that has captured my imagination, and I hope yours. The second cup was filled with milk and honey. The ancient Jewish metaphor for paradise on earth, for right relationship, for the promise of life. The second cup of milk and honey in the first century was an invitation to let bitterness go and to heal the human heart with the sweetness of life made new in the practicing of mixing it up, of loving that which is divine within among us and beyond us, with all of our passion and prayer and intelligence and energy. Today, as a way of sending us out into our celebrations, our gatherings, some we look forward to, others we don't, with friends, to being with friends, or for times of solitude, Whatever are the ups and downs of the days ahead, we offer you a cup of milk and honey. We invite you to sit this morning and contemplate what you'd like to let go, what bitterness you wish you could shed, what fears keep your spirit hiding. Then sit and welcome your own open-hearted listening. Be held in beautiful music, be held in beautiful community. And when you are ready, we invite you to come forward and take a small cup of milk and honey, which is warm and sweet, and embody this meditation to let go of bitterness and to turn toward new life. For those of you who don't drink dairy, we have almond milk as an alternative, <laughs> just to let you know, and please let us know. And you are welcome to come forward, and you are also welcome to just simply sit in your place and listen to your heart and listen to the music in this practice of mindfulness. We want you to do what feels right for you today. <laughs>